It has been said that one man's junk is another man's treasure. Uh, Never is this more true than at garage sales. Some of you are garage sale people. Uh, Ed Cobb is not a garage sale person, but he was made to be by his wife Cheryl yesterday at the house. As any good husband, he just toted it all out and supported her. My grandsons were both at the house, and so they came over. They wanted some money to go buy some of Ed's junk. I mean, stuff. (laughs) Okay. So they wanted $10 a piece. I said, no, you're not getting $10 a piece. I'll give you a dollar a piece. Well, they were happy with that, and they went over, and they came back with three beat-up rubber mallets and an old stapler. It could be doubled for a gun. 50 cent a piece. And you would have thought that you went down and bought the most expensive gift that you can imagine for these kids. I'm telling you, grandparents and parents, you spend too much money on Christmas. Just go get them a 50 cent rubber mallet if it's a boy. They beat everything. They beat the mole trails. They beat the trees. They, everything they could find, they beat with that rubber, those rubber mallets. They were Thor, you know, with the big hammer thing. One man's junk was their treasure. Now, what's true about that statement is also true about the topic of prayer. Some people see it as a waste of time. Practitists would do that, the practical people of life that get things done. They might look at times where you spend in prayer as wasteful, as junk, if you will. But those of us who know the Lord know that it's a precious gift from God to be able to freely talk with the Lord. And and, and there's times where in agonizing fashion we cry out and we cry out, Lord, don't do this or Lord, do that or please this. So we're going to look at prayer this morning and see why it's a precious gift from God and and how it is to be fashioned, if you will. So take a look at chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, all the way down to verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray, again, notice not if you pray, he assumes that those of us who know him do pray. When you pray, you must not be like The hypocrites, those who are actors, those who do it for other purposes other than reaching heaven. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Notice the problem with the motive, that they may be seen of men. Nothing's wrong with praying at church out loud. Nothing's wrong with praying at the street corners. But it's terribly wrong to do that to be heard by others. Notice, truly I say to you, they have their reward. And what reward would that be? To have people listen to them. When we pray in public, 
I think it should be short, it should be simple, it should be clear, and we should talk to our Father. We shouldn't bounce one off the ceiling, as they say. If you've heard prayers that were bounced off the ceiling, I was talking to a dear brother last week that was struggling within his church, and he was telling me about his pastor's prayer of giving and how much of it was bouncing off the ceiling and condemning those who weren't giving. And you can hear it, can't you? Let's go on. But when you pray, enter into your room. Notice and shut the door. No interruptions. You're in there alone. It's your private space. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical room. It can be a field. It can be a forest. It can be your car. It can be anywhere where you're all alone and no one's there listening. Privacy. And go into your room, shut the door, and notice, pray to your Father who meets you in that secret place. Isn't that beautiful? He's there waiting for you. He's there meeting you with you. He knows all of your heart and yet he desires for you to meet him there in simplicity, in beauty, as a father with a son and a daughter. He's got his ears and I love the fact that Jesus refers to God as father. Don't lose that. Miss that. And then he says, and your father who sees in secret, he will reward you. Well, how does that happen? How does he reward you? Well, when you get up out of that secret place, you have a strength that you did not have before you went to that place. You have a peace about yourself. You have a serenity about yourself. You have a confidence that God is in control when you leave that place. That's your reward. Now people see that. They know. They can see rattleness in your eyes or or steadiness in your eyes. And they see a life that is anchored somewhere very secure. You don't have to announce it. By the way, don't announce your secret place. You know? The pastor will be in prayer from 8 to 9 every morning. Please do not call me. Family, I will be in my room praying. Do not come in and disturb me. You've made your announcement of where you're going to be. Don't do that. Make sure no one even knows what you're doing or where you are. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. (laughs) The term empty phrases or babbling is batomeos in the Greek. Batomeos. It is is taken from one of two origins. It is either batos, the king, a famous king of Cyrene back then, who famously stuttered when he talked just couldn't get two words out without babbling and stuttering. Or it was Batos, the poet, who had a tendency to write poems that were endless and repetitive and terribly boring. 
Bartimaeus. Don't, don't stammer and stutter and don't keep repeating the same phrase over and over thinking that gets you places. Now the Jews had a lot of practices of prayer. The Jews prayed as soon as the sun came up. They offered their prayer as quickly as they could. Before the, last sun, before the sun went down or the last glimmers of the day, they prayed again. They prayed before every meal, by the way, which can be incredibly vain and repetitious, can it not? We've all been guilty of bowing our head and, and saying it, and, and, and then somebody looks up and, have we prayed? <laughs> yeah, you missed it. The Jews had a, had a habit of praying three times a day, and they never missed it. They prayed at 9 o'clock in the morning. They prayed at 12 o'clock in the morning. They prayed at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I was interested in this because it it occurred to me that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified at 9 o'clock in the morning. And he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. At noon, he forgave the thief. And at 3 o'clock when he died, he cried, it is finished. Father, he prayed those three prayers during that crucifixion day for you and I. Let's go on. Verse 8. Well, let's finish verse 7. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Verse 8. Do not be like them. Boy, don't we get religious practices from other people? Don't we tend to, 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 to watch horizontally what people do and we all pick up the habits? Jesus said, my relationship with the Father and your relationship with the Father is supposed to be spontaneous, beautiful, outflowing, no schedules. Just pray and talk to him. Verse 8, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, that creates a question in all of our minds, does it not? Let's ask the elephant in the room question. If he knows what we need long before we ever pray, what's the use of that? Why even pray? He already knows. And when you get down to the answer to that question, you get down to the very heart of prayer itself. He's not asking for new information. He's not asking you to fill him in on the blanks of your life so that you can, you can, he can do what you want him to do. The whole purpose of prayer, watch this, is intimate fellowship and connection with your father. It's talking. You ever, you ever think about the human body? How expressive we all are? We're expressive with our bodies. We're expressive with our hands. You have eyes, you can see what I'm doing up here. You have two ears, you can hear everything I say. And when I pronounce things, you hear the pronunciation of the syllables so you understand. We are, you have one mouth and two ears, which tells us something right there. We have eyes. We, we're, we're communication factories. Your wife walks in, your husband walks in, your friend walks by, and instantly you say, man, what's wrong with you? They didn't say a thing. Their body talked to you. 
We are all about interconnectedness and communication with one another. We're creatures born for that. We thrive for that. And when we're talking to our Father and He's talking to us, there's this beautiful intimacy that goes on. I love the scene of the fiddler on the roof in the movie when he's walking down and he's got a bunch of daughters, so he talks to God a lot. And he's walking down that old country road and he looks up and he said, no, I didn't. And he's talking to him like there's this two-way conversation going on. Love that scene. Pray wherever you're at. Pray all the time. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, usually when I'm walking away, I'm praying for you right then. So I won't forget. You can pray between two people. As far as you leave one, you get to the other, you can have set a prayer right there. Pray all the time. Just talk to the Lord. You're frustrated, you're agonizing, you're into depression, you're discouraged, talk to him. One of the most therapeutic things you can do is tell other people about you. Now be careful who you tell about your problems. If you get somebody you trust, talk to them. Tell them what's going on in your life. And God is the very best one to tell anything you want because he never goes and tells anybody else. Amen? He never looks down on you and judges you. Tell him anything. There's a famous, there's a famous uh, story of, of, of Rome. Uh, there's an emperor who went out to battle. And he won great triumphs. And as they walked back into Rome, marched back in with those armies, they would march under the, 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 uh, the Ark of Triumph. And the crowds would come out. And here's this emperor leading his army in. And, the, and, and there's soldiers lining the way to keep the crowds back. And along the stand where the emperor's family was, was a small boy, was his son. And he saw his father from a distance, and he ran off that platform, and he, he's trying to, trying to press through those soldiers. And one soldier grabbed him up and said, boy, you can't go out there. He's the emperor. And the boy turned to him and said, he may be the emperor to you, but to me, he's my father. And God might be a lot of things to a lot of people. For me, he's my father. And I could break through any line I want and get to him anytime I want. He's my dad. And he cares about us like that. Let's launch into the Lord's Prayer. No, let's launch into the Lord's Prayer. Let's take a look at it. Verse 9. Pray then, notice, like this. It doesn't say to pray this. Now, I know there's churches that pray the Lord's Prayer, and it's hard to bust their chops on that. It's it's not, I don't think, necessarily wrong. I just don't agree with it. The Lutherans do it. The Presbyterians do it. The Methodists do it. I did it every every Sunday as a small boy. uh, But it doesn't say to pray it. This is a model of prayer. This is a a form and a a chronological timetable of where you begin in prayer. So take a look at it. He begins, our Father. Now the ESV says our Father in heaven, but it's really hard for me to read that because I want to read our Father who art in heaven because that's what I grew up with. Same thing. Notice, he's not my father. He's our father. Notice the corporateness, the socialistic nature of this prayer. He's not our, my father. He's ours. 
together. You'll see that all through the prayer. It isn't like this this one-on-one thing going on. It's this corporate body of believers who share this very same father and can pray for one another. He's our father within the family. Now listen carefully. When you lock that thing into your mind, when you understand that the very first place you start with prayer is looking above everything that's going on in your life, everything that's stressing you, and you look above all the fray and you see a father and notice he's up in heaven. I don't know why I'm pointing up. We do that, don't we? He must be above the outer space. No, that's not where heaven is. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is among you. Heaven is not a place in terms of something way above the galaxies. It's a dimension of being where God dwells. Heaven is among us when he's here. And he's here in our hearts. So we lock in in this this very first thing. If we can get in our mind in prayer that we don't begin with our problems and our needs and our distresses because that's what's weighing us down. And we begin with this concept of a father, our father in heaven. All the prayers become different now. Because the source of things isn't me, it's him. Now, I've got a, I've got a table saw over here and I want to give you an illustration. Table saws are very dangerous and yet they're very useful. Um, and I use this last, I use it just about every week there is. And, and table saws can, can be, you just got to be very careful. One of the things table saws can do if, you, if, if that blade was up, and it's, it can actually shoot a piece of wood out there and, and, and get you in the hand. Okay. Uh, but what I want to show you is a couple parts of the table saw. Sorry, Bob. I had to just throw that in there. I was going to talk about cutting your thumb off, but Caleb's not here, so I just can't do that. This is what they call a guide, all right? You, most of you guys know what's going on here. Maybe, maybe I know that sounds sexist, but, but a lot of you ladies don't know what's going on. This is a guide, okay? This gives you your wits. You see it going back and forth? So last week I wanted eight, I, wanted, I needed 20 boards like this, 18 inches wide, okay? Didn't have my chop saw, so I used my table saw. So I, I got it out here to 18 inches, okay? I got all the way out, measured my 18 inches with my with my tape measure there, got it 18 inches, and then stuck my long boards in like this, and I ran them through. I got all 20 boards, and I measured the first board, and it was 21 inches, not 18. I thought, how can that possibly be? I measured measured the next one, 21 inches. All 20 boards were 21 inches, not 18, what I needed. How in the world could I do something like that? Well, I forgot a very important step. This right here is a locking mechanism. Are you ready for the sound? You hear it? That's not going anywhere now. I had not done the locking mechanism, and when I pushed my first board in, it pushed it back to the farthest length, which was 21 inches, and that's where I cut all my boards. So I had to cut them again, and I made sure to, underst- I made sure to do this. You will ne- we will never get prayer right until we lock into the sovereignty of God, that he is our father, it is the first thing to do when we go to prayer is not to bring our stresses and problems, but to acknowledge that he is our father 
in heaven. And then when you lock that thing into your mind, every knee-jerk reaction of your life when struggles and stresses come will be God first. It'll be the sovereign. God must have a purpose for this. God, what are you doing? How do you want to glorify yourself through this distress? And that's an anchor to the soul because he's never out of control. We think he is until we get to understanding and lock into that mentality that God is in control of things. And he's our father. More than in control, he loves us. He loves us so much, nothing's going to happen that he doesn't know about long before we are ever born. Nothing's going to happen to us. Lock that in. Our Father, who art in heaven. Notice what he says next. Holy, sanctified, hallowed is the idea. Be your name. Now, a name carries with it recognition. The the Indians never named a child until they had some kind of natural sign to tell them running bear or rising moon or, or they, they, they named their children after something going on. Names have meanings. Well, not so much in our culture, but in other cultures they actually do. The Hebrews' culture, they had meanings. Holy is the name of God. Not unrighteous. Because when we come to prayer and we don't start with the glory of God, we end with a God who is unrighteous. Because he's not doing in my life what I want him to do many times. Unfair. But when God is holy, we, we place him in a place where he already is, but in our minds it's healthy to know that whatever happens in life, God knows best. He never disappoints. Well, if you have expectations beyond the glory of God, you will be disappointed. But if your expectations are that God will glorify himself in this situation, then you're living above the circumstances. Your viewpoint is above the circumstances. Karen had a a terrifying experience last week. She pulled into the wrong lane on US-1 at night and had a a semi coming toward her. We had just left uh, the fairgrounds where Lorelai had her speech contest, and which was disappointing to us how the outcome came. But she was in a different vehicle, and when she pulled out on US-1, this was a four-lane, she thought it was a two-lane, and she got in that lane going toward Callahan in the wrong lane. Semi was coming at her. And she shifted off into the medium, which was grass, and I wasn't there. I don't know how close it was, but it terrified her. Now, the disappointing thing that happened at the fairground really didn't mean a whole lot when, you, when your perspective changed, and you're just glad you made it home. You're just glad you're alive. See, we put expectations on life and prayer. We put expectations on God that he's going to do a certain thing. And we don't know what he's going to do. But I do know this. When you start with the glory of God, it's all going to work out just fine. Because he's in control. Let's look at a few more verses. And we'll call it a Lord's Day. Verse 10. Your kingdom. 
you. This is a beautiful prayer. This is powerful and it's simple. And uh, notice your kingdom. When God's name is glorified, no longer it is it's Mike's kingdom anymore. You know you're all kings, right? And I don't mean in a spiritual sense. When you were born, you thought you were a king. You thought you ruled over your kingdom. And, and notice, this is the Lord's kingdom. Your kingdom. See, I don't get to call shots in somebody else's kingdom. I don't get to rule over that. He rules. Will you cry out, Our Father which art in heaven, in this world, you come across opposition. There's a contrasting and competing kingdom in this world. And that's why we cry out, Your kingdom come. Don't you cry out for that. Are you tired of this kingdom? You tired of this world? You know, we're, this isn't our home. We're here for a reason, but there's a kingdom coming where he rules and reigns in righteousness and honor. Now, when does his kingdom come? Jesus prayed it right here. Your kingdom come. I'll tell you when his kingdom comes. When we share the gospel and people get saved. When your hearts bow to him in submission that he's God of heaven and glorified and that you don't care what happens to your life anymore. All you want to do is live for the glory of God and whatever he brings your way, you're just praising God and want to be used of him. His kingdom has come. His kingdom has come, has come when people bow their knees to Jesus Christ. When you take the hands off of your life, his kingdom has come because kingdom has to do with authority. And when I take my hands off the authority of my life, and it's his authority that's ruling and reigning in my life, his kingdom has come. Your kingdom come. Notice he says, your will be done. This is a great place to live, isn't it? This isn't a house where I have to protect anymore. This is, a, this is my father's house. Whatever your will, your will be done. That's not, that's not just giving up and, and, and I just can't do it. That's a recognition that God is on the throne, is he's in heaven. Whatever you want for my life, just do it. Just like it's in heaven, make it so on earth. Isn't that beautiful? You don't have to wait to get to heaven, you know that, to experience God and his glory and his love and walking in that power of the spirit of God. You don't have to wait to get on the golden streets. You're living there right now, Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope of the glory of God, the scripture says. His glory is manifest in our lives when our hearts give it up. If the first thing out of your mouth in prayer is your problems, you're, not pray, you're praying below the veil. First thing in prayer is the glory of God, that I'm talking to my Father in heaven. And when I do that, I realize a kingdom is coming in the realm of which we can only imagine. And then what I desire is for his will to be done in my life. I was talking to that brother last week, and I said this, and I believe this with all of my heart. There is absolutely no place in the Christian life for burnout. 
There's no place, listen to me, there's no place for discouragement. There's no place for despondency and lethargy. There's no place for that if we, because Christ lives in our hearts. If he is the flow of river and the life source of our lives, where can that dry up? If we are downcast, it's because we have our eyes on ourselves. If we are discouraged, it's because I'm thinking about me. When I think about him, I forgot about myself. It's a beautiful place to live. Thy will be done. All I want is your glory, God. Whatever that costs me, I don't care. You know, we're only here for a few moments. You know that. And we'll be gone. We should speak with our Father in openness and candidness, crying out to him, recognizing who he 